Well, again, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning and Merry and start to say Merry Christmas. Okay. Happy New Year. There we go. I got to get it right. Well, hope your year's off to a good start. My name is George Davis. Some of you are newer to our church. Just want to welcome you. Thanks for being a part of our church family this morning. As I get started, I just wanted to give you a couple of updates, kind of things going on around here, just to make sure you're aware of maybe things we're doing differently as we move into uh, the new year. Uh, first of all, as, as many of you know, over the last year and a half, as we talked about living out our mission, uh, we talked a lot about building bridges, bridge, build, bridge building, and particularly during you know, kind of the craziness that we've gone through, we talked about the importance of just building bridges with other people, building bridges in our community. Now, as we enter this new year, there are going to be some other steps we take in kind of living out our mission. We'll talk more about those as we get into the year, but uh, in the meantime, I just wanted to thank you. I know many of you kind of wrestled with, okay, how do I build bridges, and what does that look like? We've heard different stories of ways you've kind of invested in relationships, so I just want to thank you for the ways you have kind of been a part of what we've been doing over the last year and a half. So that's kind of one update. A second update is just an FYI, and that is we have made a change with our, how we're doing our online services. Uh, we're no longer pre-recording our services. Uh, we're now kind of live streaming a Sunday morning service. So if you're not able to be with us and you want to jump in on Sunday morning, you can just kind of join a service online on Sunday morning. Likewise, if uh, you, you're not here, but you'd like to kind of catch what happened on Sunday. Later in the week, that service will be posted, or if you want to invite someone just to check out Hershey Free, they can actually check out one of our services online. So that's kind of the second update. The third update is, obviously, we're doing more, much more uh, uh, electronically these days, but I know some people, they like to come into a service, and I like to, you know, take notes on with a note sheet, and so with that in mind, uh, we've started, as you come into the services now, if you'd actually like a handout on, with the, the sermon text, the sermon notes, uh, those will be available at all the doors as you enter, those, just a little plastic container, and you can pick one up on your way in. So those are just kind of some things to get you caught up as we enter the new year. And of course, as we're entering this new year, we're in this series, we're starting this series, uh, called Love This Book. It's actually Love This Book Part 3, so I'll be introducing it uh, today, and we'll kind of jump in next week. So if you are new, this is kind of a good time to check us out. And in introducing this to you, let me ask you this question. Have you ever, have you ever been on a road trip that you really enjoyed? When I think about that question, uh, one, of, one of my favorite trips actually was a trip our family did about 11 years ago, just a road trip up the East Coast. We went, this is uh, in uh, Mystic Seaport, Connecticut. <laughs> Kids are smaller then, and uh, we went up the East Coast. We got to Boston. We're, we were actually in Boston on the 4th of July, which was interesting, and then all the way up into Maine, went hiking in Acadia National Park, which was great. And of course, as you probably know, if you've traveled with friends or family, you know, multiple days in a minivan, tippers can get ruffled every now and then, and we had those moments, but it was just a great trip. We got to see a lot of things, experience a lot of things. So what about you? Have you ever had one of, you know, one of those types of road trips that you um, really enjoyed? Think about that for a moment, and the reason I ask you that question is, today, what I'm really doing in this opening message of the series is just inviting you to join us. 
I'm going to invite you to join us on a road trip over the next few weeks leading up to Easter. It's, it's a road trip through the Gospels. It's a road trip through uh, the life of Jesus. Now, starting two years ago, we began uh, at the beginning of each year doing a series we called Love This Book. And so over the last two years, in that opening season of the year, uh, we went through the Old Testament. And this year, we're now moving to the New Testament. And so part three of Love This Book is uh, a journey through the life of Christ, really a journey looking at the public ministry of Jesus. So that's what we are starting uh, today. And we will be in this series uh, through through Easter weekend. And as you've heard, we prepared a devotional guide that is part of the, uh, part of the series that we want you to be uh, utilizing. Now, as we, as we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to do something different. We're not exactly going through one specific gospel. We're actually going to use all four gospels. And our focus will be on the public ministry of Jesus, which really is the focus of the gospel writers, right? Showing us the reality of who Jesus is in his public ministry. And as you follow his public ministry, one of the fascinating things is Jesus is always on the move, right? When you, when you pay attention to the public ministry of Jesus, Jesus is, he's a man on the move. He's moving in different parts of Palestine. He's ministering in different communities and different villages. In fact, interestingly, at one point in his ministry, he makes this comment. He makes this comment as he's talking about the cost of being one of his disciples. And he says this, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, which is a term he used to describe himself, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So when you pay attention to the ministry of Jesus, he's always moving. And so that's what we're going to do. We're we're going to follow Jesus. We'll kind of launch with uh, an introduction into the ministry of Jesus by looking at John 1 next week, and then we're, we're going to follow Jesus from Judea up into the villages of northern Galilee along the coastline of the Sea of Galilee where much of his ministry was spent. But he wasn't confined to that region. He moves into Gentile territory, and then ultimately there's this long journey back to Jerusalem, this long journey back to face the reality of the cross. So that's going to be uh, the road trip we are going to be on. And uh, as we are on this journey, I think it's helpful as we get started to think about what the gospel writers are actually doing as they describe the, the public ministry of Jesus. Interestingly, two of the gospel writers really give us insight into what they're doing. So let me just show you some clues that we have from the writers themselves as to, as to why they're taking us on this journey and, and what their intent is. So these are the opening words from Luke's gospel. Luke says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, we we learned, uh, among other things, from the very beginning of Luke's 
gospel that he's writing this book, he's writing this account for a guy named Theophilus. We don't know who he is. But notice two things in particular that he says to Theophilus. First of all, notice he talks about his process. And he's, he's very adamant here. You know what? I have, I have researched this carefully. I have sought out eyewitness testimony, right? I have paid attention to, to the stories that have come down from those who actually witnessed these events. So in introducing his work, Luke is very adamant that, you know, I've, I've followed a, an intentional process because I wanted to get at the truth. I followed an intentional process because I wanted you to hear from eyewitnesses themselves. And, and we'll come back to that in a moment. So first of all, Luke, Luke tells us about his process. But notice, secondly, not only does he tell us about his process, he also, he also tells us about his purpose. Why is he writing this? So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Theophilus has already learned stories of Jesus, but Luke is saying, now look, I want you you to have certainty about what you've been taught. I want you to know that you can rely on, that you can embrace this, that you can pursue this. I want you to know that the truth of Jesus Christ will stand up to scrutiny. scrutiny. You can can give your life to this, Theophilus. (laughs) I was thinking about this this idea of certainty this week. And for some reason, my mind went back to an experience I had maybe 16 or 17 years ago on a missions trip. I was on a small team. We were doing this missions project in, in an urban part of Jackson, Mississippi, and we were rehabbing this older house. And part of our job was redoing the roof. So we were kind of doing some roofing stuff. And, and I had worked under the assumption that the roof could hold my weight. I proved out... That proved not to be true, Um, (laughs) because at one point I was moving across the roof and kind of went from one side of the house to the other, and I moved pretty quickly, and I came down, and and my entire right leg went through the roof. Uh, You laugh. It was a painful experience. (laughs) I ended up in the ER later that day, and, and, uh, you know, that was kind of one of those situations where I trusted something, but it proved not to hold my weight. In contrast, Here's what Luke is telling Theophilus. Hey, look, you can lean into this. This will, this truth, you can commit your life to. This will hold you up. This will stand up against its critics. I want you to embrace this. I want you to know that it's true. In a similar way, think about the clues that John gives us concerning the purpose of his gospel. It's very similar, I think, in John 20, 31. John says in chapter 20, look, I could have told you so many stories. There's so many things that I could have included in telling you the story of Jesus. But the stories I told, what I have told you, I did for this reason. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that is, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I've written this, again, so that you can put your trust in him, so that you can rely on him, so that you can experience the Jesus kind of life, eternal life, the forgiven life, the renewed life, the empowered by his spirit kind of life. And so notice, notice what these authors are telling us. 
what they're saying. They're, they're not simply writing to inform you. They're also writing to influence you. They're, they're not, these, the, the public ministry recorded in the Gospels, it's not simply about informing you. It's also written in order to influence you. How exactly do the gospel writers want to influence you? What, what, what are they trying to do? Well, to help us answer that question, let's go back to the fact that as they tell the story of Jesus, Jesus is always on the move, right? As it turns out, and, and we could take more time to unpack this, but as it turns out, I think the theme of Jesus being on a journey is very important to the gospel writers. For instance... As we start this series, I think it's important to note that, that these four writers, as they tell the story of Jesus, they, they highlight different things. They come from different angles. They show us different dimensions of who Jesus is, and they highlight different aspects of his ministry. So in reality, we don't have four snapshots. We have four portraits. But even though they can tell the story of Jesus from different angles, there are certain things they have in common. There are certain things that all four gospel writers highlight. And one of those is an Old Testament citation. Each of the four gospel writers talks about John the Baptist, right? And we talked about him during Christmas, the one who comes before Jesus. And in talking about John the Baptist, each of the four gospel writers quote this significant verse from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And this is just uh, Mark's example of doing that, the Gospel of Mark. Right where John the Baptist is called what? A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Now notice this, prepare the way for the Lord, or prepare the highway for the Lord, prepare the road for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And the, the implication is that the one who is coming is going to be on a journey. The one who is coming is going to be on a mission. And in the broader context of where that comes from out of Isaiah, there's even the understanding that this one who is coming on a mission is in essence going to lead a new exodus. Right, even as the, as the people of Israel were once led out of Egypt, out of captivity, so this one who is coming is going to be on this journey, he's going to be on this mission where he brings about a new exodus where people are led out of the captivity of bondage and sin. And he safely leads them home. So the fact that Jesus is on a journey Jesus is on a mission, is very important to the gospel writers. It even affects the way the gospels are structured. For instance, Luke structures his, his telling of the life of Jesus in such a way that there is a large central section of his gospel that's all about the journey of Jesus back to Jerusalem. And along the way, there are many important conversations and scenes that take place in Jesus' life. So for the gospel writers, it's important that Jesus is on a mission. And I think as we pay attention to Jesus' mission, as we pay attention to his journey, we also see how the gospel writers are seeking to influence us. Because here's what they want you to see. 
Even as they show you Jesus' life, as they show you his journey, as they show you his public ministry, they also want you to see that you are invited to join the journey. For instance, one of the things that the, the, the authors do is all along the way, they show us these disciples, right, of Jesus. <laughs> and in showing us the disciples, they really do show us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We see moments where it feels like the light bulb is going off and these guys are getting who Jesus is, and we see other moments where it feels like they've got so much to learn. There are missteps and mishaps all along the way in their journey with Jesus. Nonetheless, they're, they're still journeying with Jesus. They're still disciples. They're still listening and learning all along the way. And what the writers of the gospel are seeking to do is tell you you're also invited to join this journey. Maybe you can think about it this way. The journey of Jesus invites us to journey with Jesus. <laughs> what we're going to see is the journey of Jesus. We're going to follow him over the next few weeks in his public ministry, but we need to understand all along the way that the journey of Jesus invites us to journey with Jesus. We're invited to join the journey. We're invited to follow him. And that's part of what the gospel writers are seeking us to understand all along the way. So as we follow the journey of Jesus, as we follow his public ministry, we're going to pay attention to two things. First of all, we're going to pay attention to the information that we are given. We're going to pay attention to the ways in which these gospel writers are describing and depicting who Jesus is and what he's all about. But not only are we going to pay attention to the information that they give us, we're going to pay attention to the invitation they give us as well, the invitation to be followers, because all along the way, they're helping us to understand what it means to join Jesus on this journey. Can I say, you know, just as your pastor, this really is my prayer for us as we start this new year. that over the next few weeks we would take steps, right, in, in journeying with Jesus. Now let's be honest, if we've learned one thing over the last two years, I think we've learned that, <laughs> that we don't always know what's coming our way, right? I mean, these last two years in different ways have just been filled with surprises, things we didn't anticipate. And so I have no idea what 2022 is going to look like for you. I have no idea what it's going to look like for us as a church because I think for some of us at least there are going to be some surprises this year. Maybe some surprises that are good, maybe some that aren't so good. Maybe you already know maybe some of the things that are going to come your way but you're not quite sure how they are going to turn out. So we really can't pretend to know what 2022 is going to look like. And let's just be honest. what if, regardless of what this year looks like for you individually, regardless of what it looks like for us as a church, what if at the end of the year we were able to look back and say, you know, this was a year we journeyed with Jesus. I mean, as a church, right, this is, we're, we're entering a new year and in so many ways a new season as we're coming out of all the experiences of the last two years. And 
And we're, we're still figuring out what that looks like. We're figuring out what that looks like at a leadership level. And there, there can be hard decisions in front of us as we kind of engage this new season. But, but what might it look like for us at the end of this year, regardless of what the specifics entail, what would it look like for us to look back and say, you know what, as a church, as a church family, this year we journeyed with Jesus. And what might that look like for you personally? Perhaps this is the year you actually start the journey as a follower of Jesus. You've kind of known those stories, but, but this can become the year that you, you start this journey of actually following Jesus. And, and we'd love to tell you kind of how that can happen and how you can get started in that journey. Perhaps this is a year when, as you go through the year, you can just have a deepening understanding of the character of God, of his holiness, of his majesty. Maybe this is a year where where you can learn to leave certain patterns of thinking behind or certain unhealthy uh, behavior traits that maybe that you sometimes engage in under stress or under pressure. And maybe this becomes a year in your journey with Jesus that you kind of learn to put that behind you in new ways. Maybe this is a year when you can grow with a deepening understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to have your identity rooted in that relationship so that in new ways you're learning to live in the reality of God's grace. And perhaps as you do that, it becomes a year where you you can grow in certain relationships or it becomes a year in which you're, you're kind of beginning to build more connections between who I am as a follower of Jesus and what that means for my Uh, my work responsibilities, what it means for my relationship, so that more and more you're connecting Sunday to Monday and Christianity just isn't 70 minutes for you on a Sunday morning, but more and more it's becoming a way of life. Maybe this becomes a year where God is stretching you kind of to move beyond yourself and to get over some of your self-focus so that you begin to see ways in which you can invest in other people and serve in other, other people and it turns out there are opportunities all around you. You've just never noticed them before. What might it look like to come to the end of this year and say, you know what, this is a year I journeyed with Jesus. That's that's the invitation of the Gospels, right? These writers are specifically describing the ministry of Jesus, the journey of Jesus, and they're doing it in such a way that you can also see that you are invited to join the journey. So will you join us as we go through the Gospels together? Now, in saying that, I realize, I think for some of us, your response may be, among others, well, okay, I get what you're going to do. I get we're going to look at the gospel stories. But, but George, you know, there's part of me that I, when I encounter the gospel stories, I just kind of really wonder, did this stuff actually happen? Is this really true? I mean, the miracles, you know, did this, did this really happen? And I mean, I learned the stories when I was a kid in Sunday school, but you know what, now I'm older and, and I'm just not sure. And it's hard to have, uh, it's hard to take this invitation seriously, George, when you kind of have these nagging questions about, well, is this actually true at all? And if you're wrestling with those kinds of questions, let me just acknowledge those are good questions. And, And in different ways, we'll come back to those questions, those types of questions in the course of this series. 
In the meantime, if you'd really dive in, let me recommend a book by a friend of mine that I really appreciate, a book called uh, Can We Trust the Gospels by Peter Williams. And if you'd really like to dive into some of those questions about, you know, how do we know this is true and what are the, what's the evidence for that? Uh, this, this book is just a great place to start. But in the meantime, let me, let me just give you one piece of evidence that I, I just find really intriguing. I'm not sure you will, but this is just one piece of evidence that I find intriguing. And, and to show you this evidence, let's go back to what we saw in Luke's introduction. Do you remember Luke's claim? Remember when he talked about process, he said, I have, I have sought the input of eyewitnesses, right? I've, I've, I have put together carefully material that actually comes from eyewitness accounts. And I would invite you to see that when you look at the Gospels carefully, there really is evidence that we are dealing with eyewitness testimony. So here's just, uh, uh, there are lots of different examples, uh, uh, ways to make that point, but here's just one piece of evidence, again, that I just find really interesting. And it has to do with the issue of names. Now realize names may not seem to be important. How can that be evidence of eyewitness testimony? But it turns out it can be. You see, um, scholars have been able to kind of use lots of different extra-biblical evidence, and, and they've been able to really identify what were the most common names in Palestine during the time of Jesus. And even as, you know, sometimes magazines now, at the end of the year, publish, here, here were the most popular names of 2021, scholars have been able to, in essence, say, in, in that region, at that time, here were the most popular, the most common Jewish names. And interestingly, this data is different from popular names in Jewish communities outside of Palestine. So we're dealing with a pretty specific set of data here. And when you think about, you know, which names were most common, think about the implications that had in everyday life experience. And here's what I mean by that. If you had a friend that had a really common name, whenever you talked about that friend, you need him to make, make, make sure that other people knew which person you were talking about, right? Because it's a common name, and you probably knew more than one person who had that name if it were really common. So you, you'd have to figure out a way to describe that person so that we all knew which person you were describing. Even in my own family, so I'm a junior, right? My dad is George as well. So growing up in my family, here's the way my family distinguished us. There was, there was big George and little George, right? I was little George. And all the years growing up in my extended family, that's, that's how my family distinguished two people who had the same name. Well, interestingly, we see the same kind of phenomenon in the New Testament. Because the evidence suggests that at the time of Jesus, the most common male name in Palestine was Simon. Okay? And that means if you're talking about someone named Simon in that context, you, you need to make sure people knew which Simon you were talking about, and you might need to use a further descriptor. And that is exactly what we see in the New Testament. So we have right this famous disciple who's named Simon, but how do we describe him? He's called Simon Peter. 
There's Simon the Zealot, Simon the Leper, Simon the Cyrenian. And so the evidence of, 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 of these popular names in the New Testament and the ways in which they include additional descriptors goes right along with the extra-biblical evidence that describes which names were most common in that particular time at that particular place. By contrast, names that were rather unusual would not need an additional descriptor. And again, this is what we see in the New Testament. So if you were named Thaddeus or Bartholomew, that's just so unusual that there are no additional descriptors used. So the use of names in the New Testament fits right uh, in line with the extra-biblical evidence of which names were most common. Now, if these were simply stories that, you know, well, they were developed over time, they legends that kind of grew over time at a different time in a different place, the authors wouldn't, you wouldn't know that. Likewise, take the name Jesus. Again, Jesus was one of the most common male names during the time of the New Testament in Palestine. According to one scholar, it was the sixth most most, it was the sixth most common male name in that context. And again, that means if you were talking about someone named Jesus, you need to make sure you identified which Jesus you were talking about because most of the people that you were talking to probably knew somebody who, or multiple people who had that name. Now, by contrast, when the gospel writers tell us about Jesus, they don't need to give him any additional description because we know which Jesus they're talking about. So one of the interesting things you see in several places in the gospels is this. The gospel writer's telling us a story about Jesus, and he just uses the name Jesus. But then he quotes eyewitness testimony, and in the eyewitness testimony, you see Jesus referred to with, a, with an additional descriptor. Let me, let me just give you an example. So this is Matthew 21, right? And Jesus kind of commands his disciples. And, and in telling this story, Matthew just says they, they did just as Jesus told them. But then Matthew cites eyewitness testimony about what happened. And it concerns the crowds. And notice, it's, it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth. Now, the next time Jesus occurs in the narrative, again, it's the author talking, so he just refers to him as Jesus. Now, does this prove that this material is historically accurate? No, it doesn't prove, but it is right in line with what we would expect if the Gospels were based on eyewitness testimony. And that's the best explanation. So these authors are inviting us to journey with Jesus. And as they do that, there is clear evidence that their writings are trustworthy, that their writings are based on eyewitness evidence. Now, as we get started, there's just one more question maybe I want to answer, and, and that is this. Okay, what's the bottom line, George? What, what are you asking me to do? Well, here's what I'm asking you to do as we start the new year. In simple terms, I'm, I'm just, I'm asking you to make space for God. I'm asking you to make space for God to be at work in your life by incorporating certain practices, certain rhythms into your life as we begin this year. And let me mention 
Let me just mention three. First of all, again, I'm inviting you to get into Scripture. This is why we have, we have prepared this devotional guide. Uh, as we get into the series, each week uh, there will be questions that you can use during three days of the week, a little devotional with questions that, that can really, uh, really invite you to engage Scripture, to, to read a part of the Scripture that we've been talking about, to, to reflect on it, and then to think, kind of think through your response. In other words, okay, so what does this mean for me as someone on this journey with Jesus? And so each week will include three days of questions where you can do that. It won't take a lot of time, but it, it's an opportunity for you to really get into God's word as we've been talking about the passage that week. Now, the goal in doing that is not to get to the end of the week and kind of be able to check off a box. Hey, I've been a good Christian this week. No. The goal is, is, is to engage God in his word. Right? The goal is for your your interaction with God to be more than just a Sunday morning experience, but to kind of come back to this during the week and so that you're, you're engaging him and really processing, okay, who Jesus is and what does it mean to follow? Now, included in that book are places, if you want to bring that on Sundays, it takes notes. The pages are now in the devotional guide for you to take notes. We also have reference to some additional resources that we are making available online that you may find helpful. And uh, I'd encourage you to pick up a hard copy here, but all the, all the information in the guide will be found at hfcinfo.com, as well as the links that are referenced in the guide. And please understand that I think part of the significance of doing this is just we're, we're going to do it together. And I think it's an encouragement when we do this together. We can encourage one another in doing this, when we're able to talk about what we're learning, what we're seeing in the Gospels, and when we're able to do that together. So one of the rhythms I want to just challenge you to be engaged in is engaging Scripture as we go through this journey through the life of Jesus. But in addition to that, there there are two others that I want to just quickly mention, and we'll talk more about this next week. Over the last few weeks, and even the last couple of months, it's just become clear among our elder team that, hey, you know, we're starting a new year, we're starting this new season in the life of our church, and we need to be open to what God wants to be doing in our church community. And so let's begin the year with a season of prayer and fasting, really praying for God to be at work in the church. So as we kind of launch into this series officially next week, we're going to take the first three weeks of the series and and really commit this three-week period, these 21 days, um, and really view them as a season of, of prayer and fasting. And I'll, I'll talk more about what that will look like and how you can participate, but it, it'll be really an opportunity for us to pray for our church community, to pray for unity, to pray for wisdom, to pray for boldness. As I said, that'll launch next week, so we'll, we'll really kind of give you more information uh, next Sunday leading into those 21 days. So as we start the new year, we're, we're going to follow the journey of Jesus' life. We're going to follow the journey of his ministry. And as we do that, can we, can we make space for God to be at work? Because individually and corporately, as we start 2022, he's inviting us to join him.
So with that in mind, will you join the journey? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as I've already acknowledged, we're starting a new year, and as we've learned from the last two, we we have no idea what's going to be in this one. Father, what, what, what might it look like if this truly were a year that we journeyed with you? Father, individually, what are some of the next steps that you are inviting us to take? And what are things personally that you want us to learn from the journey of Jesus so that we understand his journey is inviting us to be part of what you are doing? Father, I I don't know what that looks like for each of us. But I do know the invitation is there. And I pray even now your your spirit would just be doing his work to say, look, I'm (laughs) I'm inviting you into this journey. And I pray over the next few weeks that in different ways we would just see the, the journey of Jesus as an invitation to us. We would come to understand what that looks like. Father, may we be open to your work and may we be open to your invitation as we start this new year. In Jesus' name, amen.